Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Amen. If you would get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. Amen. Zechariah in the Old Testament. Amen. Between Psalms and Matthew, somewhere in there, one of the small, call them the minor prophets, not because they're less important, but because the minor prophets, their writings were shorter and usually more of a focused audience they were writing to, more of a focused purpose they were writing for than the major prophets, which anyway, just to give you context of where we're turning to in our Bibles, amen. I want to say again, welcome to all of our guests that are here today. Amen. Living Hope, could you help me? I know you got your Bibles in your hands, but let's just make some noise for our guests. Amen. We're so honored that you chose to worship with us today. Amen. If it's your first time in a Pentecostal church, and right now you're smiling outside, but on the inside you're like, what in the world did I just step into? Amen. We get it. We've all been there. Brett, Sylvia, Brett, you remember your first time at a Pentecostal church? What, what was it you told your wife? Those people are crazy. And if I leave here, I ain't never coming back, I think was how he said it. And yet here we are 20 years later, and he's, he's one of the craziest ones in the house. So be careful. Be careful what you say. Amen. You, you might just turn into one of us. We don't apologize for our exuberant worship. Amen. We don't apologize. It's very biblical what we do. Singing is biblical. Clapping of the hands is biblical. Dancing before the Lord is biblical. And we don't do these things because we're perfect or we have it all together. Amen. We do it because of the righteousness of God. Amen. Because we're striving to be more like him. Amen. That we need his help. We worship him not because we've got it figured out, but because we need him and he does have it figured out. Amen. Amen. So again, we welcome you today. Amen. We're so glad to have, I'm glad to have my mother-in-law here with us today. Amen. She is here visiting for a couple more days and then she'll be coming back for our anniversary services, but we're honored to have her with us. Amen. Also good to have uh, Jess her brother Nate and his fiance Jackie with us. We're so glad to have them here. Amen. Visiting with us today. Amen. And uh, amen. We've uh, just, my dad always, he would greet everybody by name. And, they, and somebody once told him, don't do that. It's the worst thing you can do. People just want to be there. They don't want to be put on the spot. So I'm, I'm in between right now. So the rest of you that are here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, save you the embarrassment. We just want you to know we're so glad that you're here today. Amen. Living Hope, if you see a guest around you right now, would you just reach over and greet them today? Amen. Even if it's somebody that is not a guest, just so our guests don't feel on the spot, turn to somebody nearby you and say, man, it's so good to have you here today. Amen. Tell them, I, I wish I looked as good as you look. Amen. I am going to step just a little further out on that branch and say it's so good to have Corey and Reiner 
amen, with us today. They were with us in our pastor's breakfast and their family. We're so honored to have them with us today. Amen. 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 Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read the verse of Scripture, allow you to be seated. Just a couple more things I want to share with you, and then we'll get into the Word together. Zechariah, just one verse in your standing. Chapter 9, verse 9. Amen. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice greatly. That's, that's more than just rejoicing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. He is endowed with salvation. He is humble. and Mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, because your king is coming. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I am going to preach for a little while today on that thought. Your, the king is coming. Amen. The king is coming. Amen. Before I do that, I just want to reiterate a couple of things that have already been shared. First of all, tomorrow night's gym night. Everybody say gym night. Amen. How many of you want to be in shape physically? How many of you are waiting for that pill to come out, that you buy the pill and you take it and you're in shape magically? All right, I just want to say if they come out with it, don't take it because there are no shortcuts. All right, if, you got, if you're going to get in shape, you got to do it the right way, and spiritually it's the same way. And so this year we have started our gym classes to help you get in shape spiritually. There are no magic pills. Well, I got my Bible verse a day that I get my email. That's awesome, but that's not a magic pill. And so we invite you tomorrow night, 6.30 is prayer, or refreshments rather. We invite you to come for refreshments at 6.30, 7 o'clock. And one of the new classes we're going to be offering tomorrow night is for everybody. Everybody say, it's for me. How many of you want to have more knowledge in not just the Bible, but how to properly study the Bible? Amen. The Bible tells us that we need to be good stewards and properly study the Word of God. How many of you want to properly study the Bible? How many of you ever looked at the Bible and you're like, I, I just don't, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to dig into this. Well, tomorrow night, starting tomorrow and going on through May and then into June, Brother Nate Whitley is going to be with us. He's going to be via Zoom and sharing with us how to study the Bible. You don't want to miss that if you can make it. There's also other classes for our children that uh, has already been spoken of. And then our elements classes, our spiritual development classes. And then the last announcement, just want to reiterate, is again, Saturday work day. Amen. Again. Love to have a magic pill that we can take it and Living Hope looks great for Easter, but there aren't those pills. The only way Living Hope is going to look great next week for Easter is if we all come out next Saturday. If we'll all come out, take a couple of hours out of our day, we can get it done and go on about our business. But we want this place looking good next Sunday for our guests that are going to be coming. Amen. We want to be a great representation of the God that we serve. Amen. Amen. All right. The book of Zechariah one of the 12 books of the Bible that are described as the minor prophets. The writing of this prophetic book fall at the end of Israel's 70 years of captivity and their exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. In the year 539 B.C., King Cyrus and the Persians overthrow the Babylonian Empire, and now this Persian King Cyrus begins to allow the Israelites to return for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Seventy years were not an accident. It was judgment for the sin of Israel. God allowed Babylon to come and overtake Israel and Jerusalem. 
He allowed the walls to be run down, the temple to be destroyed due to the disobedient and the sins of Israel. Now, at the end of this 70 years, God raises up this Persian king by the name of Cyrus. He overthrows Babylon, and he looks at these people of Israel, and moved upon by God, he begins to allow them to return to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of this place of worship, this holy city that had been once consecrated unto God. And now, over the next nine decades, there will be three waves of Israelites that will return from Babylon for the purpose of rebuilding the city of Zion and the walls surrounding it. Zechariah, the prophet from which we read, is in the first wave of these Israelites returning to Jerusalem, which is a wave that is led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. That's a fun name to say, if nothing else, Zerubbabel. Along with 50,000 other Israelites. And so in 536 B.C., Zerubbabel, and the Israelites began to rebuild the temple that is in Jerusalem. As they start rebuilding, the people are energized with purpose to rebuild the house of God and to restore worship. They're excited, they're enthused. It's been a generation and a half. It's been 70 years. They've heard the stories from the elders, but few of them have ever experienced the beauty of worshiping God in the temple. And now they have the opportunity to rebuild the temple and restore worship to where it is supposed to be. And now for two years, the liberated, chosen people of God, with fervency and with faith, embark upon rebuilding the temple. Has anybody ever been motivated to do something like house cleaning? Maybe spring cleaning, it's that time of the year. Motivated to get out in the yard and clean things up and... You know, you start off and you're motivated. You go down to Lowe's and you get all the necessary supplies. And, and man, maybe you make your way to Ace Hardware and you get the things that are necessary. Amen. And you get out there in the yard and all of a sudden the motivation is gone. Amen. You, you, you get a few hours into the cleaning and all of a sudden the motivation is gone. And, and this is the situation. The children of Israel, two years, they are liberated. They are with fervency and with faith. They begin the rebuilding of the temple. However, as is the custom, any time, it doesn't matter who you are, any time that you set out to get things in order between you and God, any time that you set out to restore worship and, and, and reprioritize your walk with God, whether that be in your personal walk with God, in your home, in your family, or in the world surrounding you, there is always going to come opposition. Amen. As happened with Israel. They're two years into the rebuilding of the temple, and all of a sudden, opposition rises up from all around them. The enemies that sought to hinder the rebuilding of Jerusalem and reinstate their worship of the one true God opposed them through three factors, intimidation, litigation, and accusation. Through intimidation. I don't know what intimidation is. I know some of you strong men are like, eh, I don't know what that is. Never heard of it. Litigation, legal proceedings, and accusations. First of all, they intimidated their work through physical force. If we read in Ezra chapter 4, verse 4, which is more of a historical account of these three waves of the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra 4, verse 4 reads in the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It says this, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. Have you be honest and say you've ever in your lifetime been frightened? Amen. Just imagine James Phillips not 
being happy with you. Amen. James, stand up so everybody can get a good picture of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Amen. If you have never seen the paws on this guy, show him your hands, James. Hold one. Look at them things. It's like, it's like shaking a catcher's mitt when you shake his hand. Amen. I, 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 would, I would feel intimidated. Thankfully, James is my friend. He loves me. Amen. We want to keep it that way, right, Brother James? Amen. He said that's right. I feel better. Amen. Intimidation. The Bible says that those around them frighten them. They use the tactic of intimidation, amen, for the purpose of, in, of frustrating their work, of causing them to second guess their purpose. The second way that the enemy came against them was he frustrated their purpose through legal fatuity, which I had to look up. Look it up. It's a good word to look up. Kids, you can write that one down. Frustration. Fatuity is frustration. It's, it's meaningless things. It's, it's getting involved. It's chasing the rabbit hole, going down the rabbit hole. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 4, verse 5, it says that the people surrounding Israel hired counselors or lawyers against them to frustrate their purpose. They got them entangled in, in legal matters. They got them entangled in litigation. Amen. Anybody ever tried to get a permit to do something around your home? That, that'll wear you out right there. Try building a new building. We did this here a few years ago. Man, it just about, I lost all my hair almost over it. And all the paperwork you got to fill out. Well, we want to we want to put a, a sign over there. We got to fill out this permit for that. We want to everything. There's got to be bureaucracy and paperwork for for everything. And the enemy frustrated their purpose by getting them entangled in litigation. And then the Bible tells us that they mitigated their progress through accusations from their past. Ezra chapter 4, verses 8 through 16, if you turn there in your Bibles and just kind of skim along with me, I'm going to highlight three verses. But the Bible tells us that the people surrounding them, after they threatened them with physical force and after they entangled them in legal matters and litigation, that the third thing they did is they wrote a letter to the king of Persia, the guy that had given them permission to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And if I could summarize the letter that they wrote, it was making accusations about their past. They were bringing up Israel's past. So I'm going to read verse 12. It says from Ezra chapter 4, Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. Listen to what they say. They, have, they are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are furnishing the walls and repairing the foundations. How many of you get the hint that this is not a positive letter? This is not a letter saying, hey, go ahead and let these guys build it. This is a letter meant to frustrate their ability to build. And then verse 13 says, let it be known to the king that if the city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, they will not pay customs or tolls, and it will damage the revenue of the king. In other words, king, if you let them build this city, it's going to take money out of your wallet. They knew how to talk to a king. They knew how to talk to politicians, if I could say it that way. The bottom line, if, if you can hit a politician in his, in his pocketbook, they're going to listen to you. Verse 15, here's what they say. If you read up there on the screen, I'm just going to summarize this verse. They say, look, if you'll look into the past of Israel, if you'll read the records of Israel, if you'll look into the record books, you'll discover in the record books in the past days, here are the things that they did. Amen. There will always be opposition when you set out to restore what the enemy has ravaged. 
I see people get excited just like the Israelites. We're going to do a work for God. And then all of a sudden opposition comes and they get frustrated. When you set out with the intention of improving the faith of your family, opposition will come. Living Hope, how many of you remember this, this year we are focused on building strong families? Even this morning in the spirit realm, I feel opposition. Why? Because the enemy is trying to frustrate our purpose. But we've got to let the devil know today we're not going to be frustrated. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not going to turn around. We're going to build what God told us to build. Amen? When you set out, parents, when you set out to lead your children to be godly and righteous, Opposition will come. When you begin to shuffle and realign your priorities to put worship and God where it belongs, opposition will come. When you prepare to move into your future, the enemy will always bring up your past. Amen. If we could today put ourselves into the mental and emotional frame of mind of Israel at this point, 70 years they've been in exile and enslavement. 70 years. That's all they've known is being in chains and doing the work, the bidding of Babylon with no kind of remuneration for their efforts. 70 years of enslavement. Now, at the end of those 70 years, there come two years of promise and progress. Amen. At the end of 70 years of frustration, they experience two years of abundance and two years of prophetic utterances being, being brought to pass and promise coming to pass. And now, at the end of those two years, opposition comes. Just when it looks as if promise has been restored and hope has been renewed and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, opposition comes against them. And now every step forward is a battle. Every inch of improvement requires a mile of effort. Anybody ever felt that way spiritually? That getting, you just come to that place in your walk with God. Amen. There's those times where we're just moving forward and everything is good and our faith is strong and then we hit that wall. And it's like anything we do for God is a fight. Even Getting up to go to church is a battle. Raising your hands is a battle. Worship, even though you've done it 70 times before, worshiping God seems to be difficult. Why is that? Because the enemy always brings opposition when you try to restore the things of God. But the only language that the adversary understands is the language of determination. You've got to let the devil know no matter what the weapon is, no weapon that is formed against me is going to prosper. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to turn around. You can bring sickness, you can bring discouragement, you can bring depression, you can bring financial worry my way, but I'm not going to give up. I wish somebody would speak the language of determination right now. Somebody say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not just if it's easy, but we will serve the Lord. Not if everything goes our way, we will. We will 
Serve the Lord. Opposition comes. Intimidation, litigation, accusations. And Israel becomes discouraged by insignificance. That's what I'm going to call it. The discouragement of insignificance. They have this anticipation, Sister Angelita, that by now the temple would have been rebuilt. They have this anticipation that more would have been done. But just when they start getting things done, now they've got to get a permit for this and a permit for that. Anybody remember when we were building this building and it seemed like it took forever? I don't know about you, but it seemed like we took forever. We cleared the land off and I was like, man, we'll be in that building in a few weeks. And six months later, I was saying, we'll be in that building in a few weeks. Eight months later, we'll be in that building in a few weeks. It seemed like no progress was being made. They anticipated by now we should be in this building. By now the temple should be, be, be rebuilt. By now worship should have been restored. Uh, amen. They expected that by now they would have seen greater progress than what they were seeing. Anybody ever been there before? You expected by now you would see greater results? That by now you would have seen more significant changes in your life? Right, you ate healthy and jogged a mile a day for four weeks straight. And you got on the scale, you're like, I know I lost about 30 pounds by now. And you lost about a half a pound. I'm the only one that happens to. All right. I, I, I just, I, mean, I ain't nothing but carrots and celery for a month. I've been running around, chasing Mike all around the community. Mike's running 30 miles at a time, 20 miles, I don't know. He's running ridiculous amounts of miles. And, but, but it doesn't seem like the progress is what it should have been. Right? You invest in your marriage. Man, I brought her home flowers. I bought her a 90-day massage at the day spa. I had an edible arrangement delivered to her. And she's still mad that I forgot our anniversary. It's hypothetical, by the way. I'm not seeing the progress that I think I should be seeing. I'm not seeing the results that I feel like I should be seeing. Amen? Amen. This last week I was at a conference and the pastor was sharing an instance that fits this description. He was in his office and the man came in and sat down with him and said, Pastor, I'm, that's, I, I love you, but I'm done. I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I'm just not good enough. I'm not as good as all the rest of you Christians, all the rest of this church. I'm not as good as you. He said, well, tell me what happened. He said, I was working in the yard and I, I missed the nail and hit my thumb with the hammer and he said and I cussed he said I'm just not good enough to be one of these Christians and he got up to leave the pastor said hold on we'll call him Jim, Jim before you leave hold on he said let me ask you Jim a year ago before what, what would you have done a year ago if you hit that if you hit your thumb with the hammer he said I'd have cussed the devil up one side and out the other he said, if it was a year ago, I'd have cussed a blue streak when I hit my thumb with the hammer. And the pastor said, Jim, what you got to understand is there's progress that is being made. Amen. There's progress that is being made. Because that is our temptation when we don't see the results that we're expecting. When the results aren't coming as quickly as we thought they would. Amen. Our temptation is that we give up. But I want to tell somebody, don't give up. There's progress that is being made. You ought to rejoice. I'm not where I was a year ago. I'm doing better than I was last month. I'm doing better than I was a year ago. 
Now, I know y'all don't want to clap right now because you're afraid your neighbor's going to know I'm preaching to you. But some of you, the enemy is camping out in your mind in this area, and he's got you about to give up because you're not where you think you should be. Amen. What you need to do is stand up and celebrate what God is doing. Lord, I want to thank you. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not where I used to be. Lord, I want to thank you today because you brought me a long way. I wonder if somebody can give God praise right now for the progress. Can you give God praise right now for your progress? I know you're not where you think you should be, but can you give God praise for the progress? Don't give up. Don't give up. You're better off than you were a year ago. Amen. This is exactly the mentality and the hopelessness that, is, that Zechariah addresses in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, when he says this, it's a rhetorical question, but he says, Who hath despised the day of small things? Which is a rhetorical question. If I could say it this way, Zechariah is saying this, don't get frustrated with small steps. Well, I'm not, I don't dance like James. I, don't, I haven't run the aisles like James. Uh, amen, like Brother Phillips does. I'm not as spiritually. Hey, a year ago, you couldn't even clap your hands. Uh, a year ago, you didn't have the liberty to raise your hands. Uh, a year ago, you might not even have been in church on a Sunday. You ought to thank God for the progress that you made. You ought to celebrate what God has done. Let the devil know, here's what I can do. I can lift my hands. Here's what I can do. I can clap my hands. Here's what I can do. I can dance. Don't get frustrated with small steps. If you just keep at it. If you just keep eating celery and carrots and a donut once in a while. Come on, if you just get out there and run a mile here and there, if you, amen, if you just get out there and do the small things, I promise the day is going to come that you stand on the scale and you've seen the improvements you were hoping for. But don't despise the day of small things. It's impossible for you to come to church week after week and God not to transform you. Amen. Amen. Don't be discouraged by what you consider to be insignificant. If there is one thing that I'm certain of in this walk with God, it is this. If you don't get anything else, get this sentence. Your path is more important than your pace. The direction I'm going is more fast than how fast, or more important than how fast I'm going. Amen. As long as I keep moving forward, I may not be running as fast as you are. I may not be at the same level of faith as you are, but if I'm going in the right direction, everything's going to be all right as long as I keep. Amen. Sometimes it's big steps, sometimes it's baby steps, but I'm just going to keep on walking. Your path is more important than your pace. I've, I've seen shooting stars, spiritual shooting stars, man. They, pew, and next thing you know, you're looking, pew, there they go back the other way. Amen. The race is not giving to the swift. 
Neither is the battle given to the strong, but to him that endureth to the end. That's the one that's going to be saved. Amen. I want you to know what God is doing in your life is not insignificant. Amen. The little changes God is making are not insignificant. Don't give up because you feel like what God is doing is insignificant. Tell your neighbor, my path is more important than my pace. Just raise our hands together. I want somebody to get that. Come on, I want somebody to get, get, get it in your spirit. I want you to get that deep down in your spirit because the enemy is trying to wear you. Because we're going to talk about it in just a minute, what the enemy did to Israel because they couldn't get over insignificant things. They couldn't get over the little things. They couldn't get over the little progressions that were being made. And the enemy used that to destroy their efforts. As a result of the threats, charges, and accusations, after just two years of working to rebuild the temple, two years. They're like, man, everything we do, every time we hit a nail, we got to get a permit. Every time we want to put a block on top of a block, we got to get a permit. We want to go buy cement from Lowe's, we got to get a permit for that. And out of frustration, because it was taking so long, the Bible tells us they stopped. For 16 years, chisels and hammers lay undisturbed. Stones and works of metal readied for restoration lay dormant and gathered dust. The children of Israel became disillusioned with the frustration of doing a work for the Lord because it was taking so long and they were seeing so little progress. The Bible and history tells us that they shift their focus from rebuilding the house of God and they start building their own homes. They shift their focus away from building a place of worship and they go back to building their own careers and they go back to building what made them fulfilled. They took their eyes off of the purpose that God called them out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem for and they started, listen, I'm preaching to you today because so many of us get entangled with what we were doing before God called us when we don't see enough progress taking place. back to building their own homes, begin restoring their old way of living rather than their way of worship. Well, pastor, I got this going on. I got this over here that's so important. I, I, I need, you know, that I got to take that in order for my advancement on my career. And, and we get entangled with trying to, th these things of this world that are so temporary and so fading and fleeting, and we find ourselves entangled in them. Why? Because I feel more fulfillment over here. And in the house of God, it seems like such little progress is taking. You need to understand that is an attack of the enemy. You need to know that every inch you take in the things of God is eternal. I don't care if you go into work on Monday and they, they jump you five pay raises. They give you a five-step promotion on your job. Amen. It's less important than if you walk into the house of God and you clap your hands two times. There's more eternal value in what you do in the house of God than what you do in this world. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody today, you need to get the hammer back out. You need to get the chisel back out. Amen. Don't be discouraged by the lack of progression. Yes, 
And it is in this 16-year pause of passivity that God purposefully places the prophet Zechariah. God had ordained this man of God in this season where they were frustrated with the little growth that they were seeing. I don't know about you all, but my morning devotions don't produce, I don't know what, I mean, I, I don't know that I've like woke up one day, and man, yesterday's prayer, look at my, man, look at that. Just stare in the, you know, I'm not gonna do it right now, but just stare in the mirror right here. Look at that bicep from that workout I did today. First of all, it's just not a good look, but secondly, and I don't know that a devotion, if I've ever, you know, looked at one daily devotion, one morning prayer, Man, look at me, I'm a spiritual giant now because I've, I don't ever think that. But it's the accumulation of day after 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 day. I can't tell you because I came to church and I began to worship God. I can't tell you that now I feel ready to take on giants. But because I worshiped last Sunday and the Sunday before and the Sunday before and the Sunday before, I'm telling you right now, I'm ready to fight a giant. But it's because I've been steady and faithful. God says they're in this 16-year pause. They haven't built anything in 16 years. 16 years since the last hammer drove a nail. 16 years since the last chisel quarried that stone. 16 years since they made any progress. And so he said, I've got to put a man there. I've got to get a man speaking in this environment. Places Zachariah there. And, and Zachariah's purpose is singular. Zechariah, God put him there to get Israel restored to their good work of rebuilding the temple. His aim is to recalibrate their focus from their own personal affair. He's going around to his neighbors, hey, come on, Joe, you're, you're Shaq, man, you got it all. It looks good now. Can we get back to building the things of God? Hey, man, man God's blessed you. You got a nice home there. You got, and you, how many times are you going to wax your BMW this week? I mean, I, I can see the cavity on your cuspids. You got that thing shining so good. How about we get back to building the house of God? How we get back to why God brought us out of Babylon? How, we get, how, how about we get back to why God called us out of captivity? He's trying to draw their attention back to their purpose. To remind them of the importance of restoring a place of worship. And Zechariah recognizes the only way that worship is going to be restored, that the temple is ever going to be rebuilt, is I've got to lift their eyes and their understanding off of themselves, and I've got to focus them on something greater. I've got to shift their focus off of the disappointment of today, and I've got to get them to put their eyes on the hope of tomorrow. The greatest gift that God can place in your life when you're starting to wonder and ask yourself, is it worth it? Is this whole living for God thing even worth it? Is it doing any good anyhow? I think I could still be a good moral person even if I wasn't. When those questions start running through your mind, the best gift God can give you is a Zechariah. It's a Zechariah that will say, don't forget why God brought you out of Babylon in the first place. Don't forget that the house of God is the most important thing in this world.
Here's the purpose of the entire book of Zechariah, 14 chapters, 4,855 words, one purpose. We have to rebuild the temple because Messiah is coming. He said Messiah is coming, and when Messiah comes, he's not going to come if we don't have his house ready. Amen. We've got to get the house ready because Messiah is coming. We've got to build the temple because Messiah is coming. And so Zechariah stands and begins to proclaim, every brick you lay is making room for Messiah. Every stone you chisel is preparing a place for the promised one. Every time that you swing the hammer, you are creating capacity for the king. Amen. This is more than construction of a building. It's making room for a king. This is more than just another edifice or a structure. Amen. Remember, the king is coming. It's time to overcome your frustration. Because the king is coming. It's time to get past intimidation because the king is coming. It's time to press beyond the accusations of the enemy because the king is coming. I came to remind Living Hope the king is coming. I came to remind you it's time to get over your frustration, it's time to get beyond intimidation. Some of you, every time you start to make progress, the enemy points to your past and reminds you of your failure and you put your hammer down. It's time to get over it because the king is coming. I'm not going to stop worshiping. I'm not going to stop praising. I'm not going to stop building. I'm not going to stop restoring. I'm not going to stop bringing my family to the house of God. I'm not going to stop bringing my children to the altar. Why? Because the king is coming. Zechariah was pointing to a new day that was dawning. Understand, Zechariah was pointing to a day that was coming. It's a day that we now point back to. But for Zechariah, it was the hope of salvation. And for us today, the same moment was our hope of salvation. He was pointing forward to Jesus, and we point back to Jesus. Amen. But it was the hope. Amen. Zechariah was saying, come on, church. Don't quit now because the king is coming. This is a day that was central to the hope of Israel. It didn't start with Zechariah. It was Moses' hope in the wilderness. It was the hope for Father Abraham. It's what stirred in the spirit of Joseph when he was in the bottom of the prison in Egypt. And now Zechariah writes, and I bring us to the ninth verse of the ninth chapter of Zechariah's writing with one purpose. We got to build the temple because the king is coming. I know today that there are people here that are, and I know why there's a, a spirit of a little bit of a, it's, I'll just say it this way, it's been easier to preach at Living Hope than it is today. And it had nothing to do with your response. It has, there's a spirit of opposition here today. Because the enemy is trying to intimidate some of you. Because he knows if you ever rebuild that house of worship, Messiah is going to show up in your life. Amen. 
Amen. Some of you right now, the enemy has got you entangled in things of this world. Amen. He's got you entangled in litigation. You're caught up in things that have no eternal value. You've got little things for God because you're so entangled in the things of this world. And it's simply because the enemy knows if you ever get worship back where it belongs, the king is going to walk into your life. I'm preaching to people in this building that the enemy keeps on bringing up your past because he knows if you ever step into your future and rebuild what God started, the king is going to come. So in the middle of his writing in the ninth chapter, in the ninth verse, Zechariah said, here it is. I've got revelation. I've got revelation of what it's going to look like when the king comes. Amen. Again, I'm trying to draw the attention of people that put down their hammers and laid down their chisels. Amen. They put away the rocks that have been quarried for the rebuilding of the temple. And they're sitting there building their own things. They're frustrated. They're intimidated. They've given up because of their past failure. Zechariah says, here's how we're going to do this. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Come on, he said, I need some singers to stand up and lift your voice. I know it's been 16 years of opposition. I know it's been 16 years of intimidation. I know it's been 16 years of, of litigation. You've been tied up in the courtroom and red tape and bureaucracy. Amen. But he says, in spite of what the last 16 years have looked like, I want you to lift up your voice and rejoice. I want you to lift up your hands and rejoice because there's a new day coming. I don't know what the last five years have been like in your life, but you need to lift up your voice because a new day is dawning. I don't know what's been going on in your home and family, but you need to rejoice greatly because the king is coming. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, because a new day is dawning. When, when King Jesus shows up, when the Messiah shows up, it's going to be different. When Messiah rides into Jerusalem, everything's going to change. Your hopelessness is going to turn to hope. Your sorrow is going to turn to joy. Your, 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 your ashes are going to turn into beauty. And so I say to Living Hope today, rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. No matter what the last five years have been like. If you've been struggling with addiction, rejoice greatly. If you've been dealing with the guilt and shame of your past, rejoice greatly. Because a new day is coming. And then he says, shout in triumph. Amen. I have different shouts. I have, I just saw a spider shouts. And then I have another level. I just saw a snake shouts. I have a Yankees one in the bottom of the ninth on a walk-off home run shout. <laughs> I got the microphone right now. I got different shouts for different circumstances. 
But the shout of victory is like nothing else. Amen. When you recognize where God brought you from, when you recognize what God delivered you from, when you recognize what he delivered you out of, hey, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I need some ex-alcoholics to shout with victory. I need some used-to-be drug addicts to shout with triumph. He said, listen, I know right now all you can see is 70 years of chains and 16 years of challenges, but there's a new day coming. So lift up your voice and shout because Jesus is coming. Some of you that have had chains binding you and shackles holding you down, I say to you today, shout in victory. Somebody raise your hand and just wave it a little bit. Rejoice greatly. Somebody lift up the other hand and wave it a little bit. Shout in victory. Come on, we're rejoicing and we're shouting. We're in the middle of frustration. We're in the middle of opposition. I don't see what the prophet is talking about, but I'm going to give God praise anyhow. All right, Zachariah, why exactly are we rejoicing? All I see is frustration. Why again are we shouting? All I see is opposition. All I see is court cases and litigation. All I hear is accusations of what I used to be. All I hear is the enemy bringing up my past failure. Why again am I shouting? Why again am I rejoicing? And Zechariah says there's one reason. Because the king is coming. Amen. Because the king is coming. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how dismayed you feel. I don't care how bad your past looks. The king is coming. And I know that Zechariah was prophesying through the lens of a nation. But his prophecy was not just for a historic group of people. It was for all of humanity. It was not just for people facing opposition in 500 B.C. It was for people facing opposition in 2022. It wasn't just for a people hindered by accusations of their past in a historic city of Jerusalem. It was people in this building today haunted by your demons. Amen. You're in this building today and you can't get over yesterday's failure. But the king is coming. The king is coming, and the day, the moment that the king rides into town, the moment that the king steps into your life, everything is going to change. The moment that the king steps into Jerusalem, everything is going to change. Zachariah said, just a few things I need to tell you about this king. Number one, he's just. Hallelujah. 
I know the enemy's been accusing you, writing letters and sending emails. I don't know back then, probably not email. He's been dropping those late night text messages in your mind, interrupting your sleep, reminding you of your failures and reminiscing over your past. But the king is coming and the king is just. What does that mean that the king is just? It means he's righteous. Amen. It means that the king is righteous and he justifies. In other words, he can look at your past and he can give you a future. He can look at your failure and he can give you righteousness. I don't know about you, but I rejoice today because the king is coming. I've got a messed up past, but because the king is here, I've got a future. Rejoice. Shout with victory because the king is just. Everybody be seated for a moment. Listen closely before you respond. Stand right now if you deserve God's forgiveness, if you deserve it. If, if you're good enough, let me, let me make sure you all get what I'm saying. Stand right now if you, in your own good works, earned God's salvation, earned the righteousness of God. Uh, hold up, let me join y'all. Because I shouldn't be standing either. Amen. We, we didn't, that, the king is coming is not based on my, the reason I shout because the king is coming is not because I'm good enough, because, but it's a revelation that when the king comes, he is just, and he covers my unrighteousness with his unrighteousness. Amen. He covers my guilt with his glory. He covers my past with his blood. You ought to rejoice today because the king is just. Zachariah to them is saying, come on, we got to keep building because we, we need a just king. We need a king that will come and wash away our sins and our filth. And then Zechariah says, here's another factor you need to know about this king is he saves. He's a king who saves. The enemy is threatening you, telling you all the reasons that you'll never make it to heaven that you're not good enough and you'll never overcome why you can't win. But Zechariah says, good news, the king is coming. And this king that we serve is a king who saves. Amen. Come on, keep on building because a saving king is on his way. Don't get frustrated if it seems like you're taking baby steps. Just keep on building because the king is coming. And he is humble. He is humble. Zechariah appears through the revelation of what the Spirit is showing him. And he sees this shadowy figure coming. He sees the crowd gathered and he hears the echoes of the shouts, Hosanna. He sees this shadowy figure emerging. Palm trees the way are being waved around him and coats are being laid down. And he peers beyond the crowd and looks beyond the shouts. He sees this king emerging. And I think probably Isaiah, or rather Zachariah, squinted a little bit. Maybe blinked a few times. Maybe like me, had some sweat in his eyes. And make sure what I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing. Because the king I'm looking for is going to be on a horse. Because kings who came to, 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 
call out war on their adversary. A king who is coming to let the enemy know that he's about to overthrow them. That king will always come on a horse. And so Zechariah's expectation is this Messiah is going to come riding on a horse. He's going to come to overthrow and plunder. He's going to come to overthrow all those that are enemies of his kingdom. And Isaiah squints and peers that that's not a horse. That's not a stallion. It's a donkey. Can't be a donkey. Kings who are victorious, kings who are overthrowing their adversaries, kings who come in might and power, they don't ride donkeys, they ride horses. Uh, amen. Because a statement of a king riding in a donkey was that of a servant. It was that of somebody who was humble. It was a sign of peace and humility. Uh, amen. It was that king saying, I'm not coming to destroy, but I'm coming to restore. I'm not coming to tear down, but I'm coming to build. I, I know, I know. Just like them, them 2,000 years ago, a lot of them missed out on Jesus because they wanted a king on a horse. Come and get all the bad guys, Jesus. Get all the oppressors. Get all of those who do iniquity. Come in riding on a horse and show off your might and your muscle and overthrow them until we recognize that we are the bad guys. I am the enemy of the kingdom of God. I'm a sinner. Oh, man, it got real lonely in here right now. Everybody's like, you're a Such are some of you. Oh. Have, listen, if Jesus would have come riding in on a horse, ain't one person in this room right now that a hope, had a hope of salvation. If Jesus would have come riding in on a horse and overthrown the Roman government and brought judgment upon every sinner in that place, ain't nobody in this room that would have had hope. I'm so glad today he didn't come riding on a horse, but he came riding on a donkey. I'm so thankful he came in humility. He didn't come to destroy me. He came to give me life. Rejoice, daughter. Shout in victory because the king is coming and he's just. Amen. He saves and he is humble. Came clothed in humility. Let me tell you today, the king did not show up here today to trample you for your transgressions. He comes riding on a donkey. Oh, the day will come. Revelation chapter 7 tells us that the day is coming that the king is going to get on that white mare. He's going to come with the sword in his hand and he's going to execute vengeance. He's going to strike down every transgression. He's going to overthrow every kingdom that has risen up against him. That day is coming. But today he's not here on the back of a stallion. He's here on the back of a donkey. And he's saying to every person in this room today, I love you. I, I love you. I want to help you. I want to heal you. I want to restore you. He is not here today to cause you to grovel in the guilt of your iniquity. He comes riding on a donkey. He is not willing that any should perish. Let's close our eyes right now. Jesus is humble. He is waiting. He is hoping that right now somebody would bow their knee in repentance.
500 years before they lined the streets of Jerusalem, Zechariah in the spirit saw the day that the king would come riding into Jerusalem with palm branches being waved. That's what Zechariah 9 is. It's a prophecy of today, this day, that we celebrate the, the anniversary of Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the crowd shouted, Hosanna, amen, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That phrase, Hosanna, means, O king, save us, O king. Amen, I want you to know today you are one Hosanna away from the king saving you from your sin. You are one declaration, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. Amen. I'm not willing to go through this life without Jesus. I need the king to save me. He is just. He is a savior. And he, amen, he is humble. Perhaps you have become frustrated with insignificance, overwhelmed by the opposition you are facing in your world, defeated by the record of your past failures. But you are one Hosanna away from the king coming. 2,000 years ago, he rode into Jerusalem. But Brother James, do you remember the Sunday he rode into your life? This guy ain't always been as crazy. Well, he's been crazy probably for a long time. But he, he wasn't always crazy about the right things. But I remember the Sunday we put you in that baptismal tank and we put you down and you said, Hosanna. Amen. Come on, he said, save me, Jesus. And the king came riding into his life, and he clothed you in his righteousness, and he washed away the stains of your guilt. Amen. And he humbled himself and said, come on, James. I love you. I'm not going to leave you where you are. You are one Hosanna away from Jesus riding into your situation. You are one Hosanna away. We raise our hands together in this place. Palm Sunday is not about a man riding into a donkey, uh, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem two thousand years ago. It's about a savior riding into your life today. It's about a Savior stepping into your sin-condemned world. It's about a Savior stepping down to a place, amen, you could never reach Jesus Christ of your own righteousness, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a serpent, servant. He, he pushed aside the white stallion and said, I'm going to take the donkey, amen, because I've got to come humble. I've got to come as one that they can reach. Amen. Musicians, come. Stand with me. That was two different groups. I was, musicians come. You all stand with me if you would. Oh, pastor, preacher, bald guy, whatever you want to call me. You don't understand. Because my problems aren't like other people's problems. I'm different than everybody else. My past doesn't, I don't, I, that girl that was up here singing, that Jess Johnson. I mean, she's a, she's a good Christian girl. I'm sure that Jesus can save her. I'm, I'm sure Jesus can do things for her, but you don't understand. My situation is different. I'm not like all you church people. I'm not like all you righteous people. If you knew my past, preach, you would understand. I don't even think Jesus could step into my world and bring salvation. I don't even think the righteousness of Jesus can cover the multitude of sins that I've committed. And I think it's not an accident that the Gospel of Mark writes something that none of the other Gospel writers wrote. 
But Mark records some very specific words of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite of you. Listen, listen closely. And as you enter in, you will find a colt tied there, listen, on which no one has yet ever sat. Anybody ever tried to ride a horse that nobody's ever ridden before? I'm sure my father-in-law did a few times. You don't do it when you're going to a parade. That's not the day you ride a horse for the first time. You don't get on the back of a donkey for the first time when you're going to ride down Main Street and wave at people as you pass by. Because it's about to be a rough ride. But Jesus said, I want you to get me a donkey that's never been ridden before because I've got to show this world just what kind of king I am. I can take situations that nobody else could bring peace to. I can take circumstances nobody else could bring peace to. Amen. And I can step into your world and your situation may not be like anybody else's, but I want you to know what kind of king I am. I I can step into your world and I can bring peace where all you feel is turmoil. I, I can step into your problems and I can bring tranquility and I can bring peace in the midst of your pain. So I'm asking us as we raise our hands right now, the worship team, come on, help me sing. And I know we're facing, we're pushing back against something in this church today, but I'm asking you that would to come. I'm asking you to come and say, Hosanna. I'm asking you to come and say, Jesus, the king is coming. The king is here today. The enemy has come there. Some of you, the enemy has come against you through intimidation. Every day He's threatened you in your head. Others today you've come you were there and the enemy has just got you tied up in the busyness of this world. Sovereign one. Others the enemy keeps on pointing to your past. Come on. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.